Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bresky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is back from break and illness, it sounds like, Rebecca. It's great to have you back and we're glad you're feeling good. Rebecca, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be back and good to be better. And, and everyone, Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. And as always, also, Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we are going to spend a little bit of time. Uh, it was inauguration week. It, obviously extremely exciting for the state to have a change in leadership, a change in vision. And certainly that was on display in the inaugural speeches, a, a definite uh, different message and tone about our vision going forward. Um, and so very exciting. And we are going to debut on the show uh, later in the show, in addition to talking about a little bit about what's been going on this week, a new segment with our new state treasurer, Sarah Godlewski, um, I think I want to call it, uh, uh, Sarah, what the Godlewski does the state treasurer do and how can we help you um, <laughs> segment. So we're really excited to have her, but we'll talk a little bit more about um, getting sworn in in the inauguration with her and then her agenda uh, later in the show. But panel, what I wanted to start talking about is a little bit is Tony Evers wasted absolutely no time in starting to leave a stamp on how he's going to govern and including... Um, executive order, Robert, on health care that I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about. And then also, uh, in addition to the executive order, his directives to Josh Call around the, uh, the famous ACA lawsuit. Robert? Well, these executive orders are symbolic because uh, he's directing the Department of Health Services secretary to do something that he could tell her to do, you know, without an executive order. So you should see them more as stating the intention of the administration very early in the administration. Uh, but there are a number of different provisions around expanding health coverage, expanding affordability, protecting pre-existing conditions. Uh, but in general, it's not a plan at all. It's simply, I would like the department, uh, my new Secretary of Health Services to develop plans to achieve these goals. And so it's, uh, you have to see it more as simply declaring that he's going to follow through on his campaign promises on health care, which, as we know, is the top issue in this election. Uh, well, it remains to be seen. We don't really know philosophically what he would like to see on top of Medicaid expansion, though we know he did commit to badge care public option the first term, uh, but not necessarily the first budget. And he had a good prescription drug plan as well. So we'll see if those elements are there or whether that policy is also developed somewhere else. So I think it's important, uh, but it's not, it's not a full plan for anyone to dig into. It's more of a, more of a signaling of intent. Yeah, and I, you know, I think um, it's important to note how important and symbolic the first, or in this case, the first two executive orders are for an administration. I mean, this is Governor Evers really setting the tone, one, for governing. You know, as Robert mentioned, this is kind of like a plan to make a plan, but, you know, this, these are not hyper-political things. This is like, I'm going to plan to govern and figure out solutions. Um, but also that healthcare is the first thing right out of the bat. And, I, you know, as Robert mentioned again, this is something that he campaigned on, but I would go even further back and say, this is something that the people have been demanding for a long time. You know, a lot of credit goes to Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, 
And before that, of course, President Barack Obama and healthcare is something that, you know, has been championed from the highest levels and has been talked about the highest levels. But, you know, folks across the state, including Citizen Action Co-op members, uh, made very clear in this election cycle that our healthcare was on the line and that is like a number one issue. And when folks were polled, this is something that people really care about. So, you know, I think it's um, really politically, like really symbolic and important that this is the first, he could do anything, right? He could have had an executive order on Foxconn. He could have an executive order on education, which is very important. I know we're going to talk about that in a bit and that's his bread and butter, right? But this is the first thing he did he, to sign these two orders. He could have restricted consumers' rights to protect themselves through lawsuits. Oh, wait, no, that's oh. what Walker did right out of the box. So. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm confusing what it was like eight years ago. Sorry, I, listeners, I promise. And I'll remember, we're in a new era. And when we're spreading, uh, you know, the credit, I mean, Hillary Clinton was very strong on health care and pushed Barack Obama in the 2008 election to be stronger on health care. In some ways, unappreciated, pushed him to make a commitment he then followed through on. And so the point, my point of saying that, because I have a lot of disagreements with Hillary Clinton, is, is that... It, it, th this consensus on health care involves the whole spectrum. Now, it starts to break down once you say whether we get to Medicare for all or not within Democratic Party. But going to at least a mixed governmental approach and trying to make health care affordable for everyone is now a bedrock principle of the whole Democratic Party. There were some concerns among progressives that uh, Evers would not be progressive enough on health care, and I don't, we don't know that yet. But I'm very encouraged by what we said around pre-existing conditions because the Republicans are putting forward a plan, Matt, Matt has been thinking about this a lot, uh, to basically outlaw the discrimination without doing anything else to make health care affordable or guarantee good coverage. And that would actually uh, increase costs and drive people out of the market, because it, and that's what happened in states that only did those provisions. I was a little concerned that got, got a little, I mean, I'm afraid, but just a little concerned, would Governor Evers just take an early win and say, this is bipartisan, so I'm going to agree to this bill? Instead, he came out and said, you need the other elements of ACA as well. And in the presence of the Texas lawsuit, that's critical. So I'm really heartened that he and his administration got that right away. Yeah, okay, like, I, I think we should be very clear about this as activists, uh, you know, and, and organizers on this issue that, Evers is going to need to be pushed, okay? And it is a great sign, and we're thrilled that he is showing that. I think this is just makes it clear that expanding Medicaid is gonna is going to be like a drop drop that issue right for him. I, it's a terrible thing to say, but uh, essentially, it's going to be that kind of issue. But look, the broader push, right? You you um, Rebecca referenced Bernie Sanders, right? Medicare for all, Badger Republic option. Uh, all of this is going to require us to put tremendous amounts of pressure and organizing work to get Tony to take on the legislature, to make this a priority. So maybe it could be the defining issue in the 2020 election, right? Are we going to have a health care for all in this state or not, regardless of what happens at the federal level? So those are the kind of things we need to begin to fire up. And this is a great first sign that the issue is going to be in play and there's going to be opportunities for us to engage and define the public agenda for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and I just, you know, want to say on this, but also kind of like transitioning to our future subjects on the show, uh, this has been a very well-run transition, and it says a lot about who Governor Evers is. It says a lot about who his chief of staff, Maggie Gao, is, but there have been no leaks 
There have been no gaffes. There have been very thoughtful appointees to his various transition committees. There have been very thoughtful appointees to cabinet secretaries and people who are going to be leading our government. Um, and the message over and over again is very clear that good governance is going to come first. And you know, people who believe in science are going to run the DNR. And folks um, who care about healthcare know about healthcare are to be on that transition committee. And so. You know, I think this is this is kind of more of the same, and and all of that up to now has really set the tone for the kind of administration we're going to have. And then, you know, as soon as they were sworn in, um, right out of the gate, you know, this is the first two executive orders that we saw. So I, I'm really heartened by um, what we've seen, and uh, again, I'm, I'm really impressed. I think it's really hard to do something like that, um, transition administrations without without those kinds of things happening. So Robert, before we go to break, one other healthcare issue was like, Evers. Um, really directing Josh Call to take action on, on the ACA lawsuit. Could you quickly tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Well, I think most of our listeners, as very well-educated people, are very aware that this Texas lawsuit that, uh, uh, that our previous Attorney General Schimmel joined with Walker's permission and approval uh, would, in a very radical way, repeal the entire Affordable Care Act and basically makes the argument to cut through all of the various right-wing jargon that the federal government lacks the power to do these things, which is like a horse and buggy 19th century view of the government. And this became an issue in the campaign, so much so that the lame duck session actually attempted to take the power away from the attorney general and governor to join or not join a lawsuit. So to lock in place Walker's decision after and, and Schimmel's decision after the election, which is shocking because if you, if you join the lawsuit under one set of laws and then can't leave it under once you have a new election, it's highly undemocratic at the least. I mean, I'm understating it. And so the question is, and this we'll talk, I'm, I'm sure, about the lame duck lawsuit later, how can Tony Evers direct uh, Schimmel, I mean, not Schimmel, but please, uh, that scared me, uh, Josh Call <laughs> to withdraw from this lawsuit? And uh, he's not saying how. He just says he's sending him such a letter, and they think they have a format that will work. So that's to be determined. And I don't know if it's related to the lawsuit we'll talk about later in the show or if they have another theory as to why the, the lame duck law is not valid. So with that, we are, we're going to go to a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Right after the break, we are going to be joined by Sarah Godlewski, our new state treasurer. And uh, following Sarah, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the new news this week. And uh, we'll close the show uh, by being joined by uh, Jolie Lizette, our organizer for the Northeast Wisconsin uh, Cooperative. So uh, we look forward to talking more, but we got to take a break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the things that have already started happening with Governor Evers. And we are really fortunate now uh, in this section to debut what is going to be a monthly segment uh, with our new state treasurer, Sarah Godlewski. State Treasurer Godlewski, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Well, this is super exciting. Uh, not only did you help save the office, you then won as state treasurer. So tell us, what was it like this week to be in the Capitol and to be sworn in and just be a part of all of this uh, very exciting change here in Wisconsin? Well, uh, for me, Matt, it was really about 
seen democracy, I think, firsthand because we saw it earlier, and I would even argue a couple times this year, where the people had spoken and yet their voices sometimes were being diminished through power grabs and all sorts of kind of crazy political activities. And um, when we started with the referendum and it passed with 62 percent of the vote, and then again when we clearly voted for um, – you know, for this office in November 6th, it was just great to finally see that the people of Wisconsin have spoken and that they want this office to be their fiscal watchdog and they want to bring back accountability and transparency. And that's exactly something that we are going to be working towards um, doing um, because we, quite frankly, should have been doing this all along. So tell us what so what does the treasurer you get sworn in this week and what's what's already happened and and then we'll get into later what what are your top priorities and what do we need to start thinking about what we need to do to start to support this uh, rebirth of the treasurer's office. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because literally on November seventh, we've been really we've been focused on how do we get ourselves up and running as quickly as possible and. And one of the kind of main activities that we've been doing is understanding the current statutes that this office is responsible for. And because people keep saying over and over again, the state treasurer can't do anything because the only requirement by law is to serve on this board that oversees public lands and oversees a trust fund worth $1.2 billion that goes to public schools. So that's the trust fund that provided over $35 million to all public schools in the state of Wisconsin. Well, come to find out, you know, not actually true that this office does have in the books over 16 core responsibilities that deal with all sorts of financial management issues that it hasn't been upholding for years. Madam Treasurer, um, Sarah, we're so we're so excited to have you and we're so excited that you are now sworn in. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges, um, it's great to win, but then one of the biggest challenges in winning is this transition, right? That you've got to take an office that's been someone else's office for years uh, and make it your own and get it to work um, doing the people's work. And so I was just wondering, you know, how are things going? How are you settling in? Um, you know, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, so we literally got keys to our office on Monday and um, walking into our office was kind of like, I think, going into somebody's basement that hasn't been opened for years. Um, you know, like when we got into our office, um, you know, mail hadn't been checked forever. There was no internet. Um, there were wires hanging down from the office. I mean, it's crazy to think that this is a public facing office of one point that, that over 1.3 million people voted for, but clearly it was not open for business for at least four plus years. I mean, we opened up our door, we turned on the lights, and literally we had dozens of people within the last 48 hours that are stopping by and saying, oh my gosh, we've never seen this door even open before. Like, what does this look like? Um, and we've been getting dozens of phone calls of pe from people. And so I guess to me, I'm just really excited that people are coming to us. Um, they see us as, as their advocate. Uh, and our biggest challenge now is 
to make sure that we actually get this office up and running because it clearly has not been up and running for over four years, even just simply from an operational perspective. Um, I mean, one of the crazy things is that so literally this office has zero staff, and I think that was one of the unfortunate political tricks to just try to show people that this office doesn't do anything. Um, but uh, so we are working on kind of building the bare minimum that's needed um, to make sure that we can actually uphold, again, these like 17 laws that deal with financial management that this office hasn't been doing. Um, but the good news is, is that even if the Republicans decide they don't want to give me any people, um, the people of Wisconsin hired somebody with a financial background, so I can just get to work and, and do this by myself. But um, I, I think we owe it to the people of Wisconsin to at least start giving the basic staff required to um, start upholding some of these you know, financial management responsibilities. So, Sarah, this is Robert. Um, I hope you got some pictures of what the office looked like, because I think it serves as a perfect con metaphor, concrete example of what the right-wing vision for government is. Because if you don't believe in the basic functions of our democracy, then this is what it results in. So you rarely see it that concretely. It's an abstract kind of concept for us. But I think this is, this is, is a perfect illustration of what we need to push against, because uh, the great thing the United States and each state, including Wisconsin, has done in this in this world, quite frankly, is to is to create large scale democracy where the people and popular consent is dominant. And there, literally, we literally have a, a party that is dominated by people who don't believe that. So, to to that point, we did a video yesterday. Um, so, I encourage everybody to go to. Um, our state treasurer uh, Facebook page, and we did a, a tour of the office showing people kind of what we were dealing with. Because um, one of the things that I want to make sure I'm doing just from day one is being transparent in kind of the current situation and how we are doing the best that we can to bring accountability. Uh, so we literally do a three-minute tour. We uh, show you like our file cabinets that has invoices since the turn of the century that we don't even know have been paid or what they've been dealing with, like the mail, um, wires hanging down. So uh, yeah, if you guys um, want a good chuckle, but also it's um, inspiring because we're ready to turn it around, um, check out the video because I think that's a, a good way to see firsthand what exactly we're dealing with from an operational perspective. So you mentioned right away resources. So I want to quick before we wrap up our first segment, and we'll have you next month to dive a little deeper into this as we start to look into the going forward and creating a budget. Um, what 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 will be the plan, right? Because we would love to get our members supporting you in the state budget in terms of trying to actually force Republicans to put resources into making sure we have accountability and, as you say, a watchdog for our uh, our democracy. Um, Give us a little preview of that, and then uh, next show we'll dive deeper into that and other priorities you may have on that list of 16. Yeah, and I, one of the things I want to hit right up front, Matt, because I think that this is a critical part in our messaging, is that this office doesn't take any tax money to actually operate. So it is literally run on um, program revenue, so whether it's interest, through the trust funds that we manage or different programs. But to run the state treasurer's office costs taxpayers zero. 
And so this is where it becomes a very interesting conversation because we're not taking general purpose funding. We're literally just asking for money that we already have in different accounts to use it to actually serve the people of Wisconsin. Um, and so our big themes that we're going to be, you know, working towards from a budget perspective include, um, you know, transparency and accountability. Um, so financial integrity, we're going to start talking about, and I'd love to get into it next time, some win-win investment strategies that um, we want to start using. And then the third thing with our budget is getting into economic security. So whether it's um, you know, looking at child savings accounts or universal retirement. But um, these are things that uh, we're going to start advocating for um, in our office, and, and the budget will be aligned um, as, a, as appropriately. Well, State Treasurer Godlewski, we want to thank you for taking the time to uh, join us and uh, agreeing to uh, join us every month. We'll try to, what is this? This is the second Thursday. Hopefully we can say the second Thursday every month. Uh, we will uh, have you on and we'll dive into some very uh, specific thing about what's what we need to do to uh, bring back the watchdog. So uh, thank you so much uh, for running, winning, and uh, joining us and agreeing to uh, uh, appear regularly uh, for our listeners. Woo, yes, Sarah. <laughs> Yes, thanks for having me, and we're looking forward to moving Wisconsin forward. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, and we'll we'll talk to you next month. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, great. So with that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of what uh, has already started to happen this week under uh, Governor Evers and a few other things that uh, happened uh, this week in the Wisconsin legislature. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We want to, again, thank uh, State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski for joining us before. And again, I want to remind you, she will join us every second Thursday of the month to talk about that office. So uh, we want to quickly go through a number of different issues this week and starting with the lawsuit uh, as we it, it's really coming out this morning as we record on Thursday uh, that a number of uh, groups here in Wisconsin including the League of Women Voters and the Disability Rights Wisconsin uh, to basically they filed suit to overturn the lame duck session let's talk a little bit about the details in this and obviously something we would <laughs> certainly agree Robert so this is very arcane but just so folks know, a special session is one called by a governor, and that's in the Constitution. And an extraordinary session is called by the legislature. And the Constitution says the legislature can only do laws, actually pass bills, during a duly constituted session. The you issue. Know I never knew that distinction. That's right. A very. Thank you, Robert. There you go. Uh, that's so, why he went first on this one. Neither, <laughs> neither of us knew that. You know, no. so, I thought they were interchangeable. Okay. The extraordinary session is actually not in the Constitution at all. And so it's a very simple lawsuit. It says that these, this was a legally constituted legislature, and therefore all the laws are null and void. Their defense is going to be that the legislature has been doing it since around the early 1980s. Well, the response from our lawyers is going to be that, well, the Constitution is a lot older than that, and it doesn't meet it legal, and no court has ever ruled on it because no lawsuit was brought. So it's a wonderful test of right-wing judges who claim to be original, originalists because I predict that the right-wing 
Supreme Court will ultimately decide that whatever the right-wing politicians, the other ones that don't wear rubs, said is valid. And they'll use this little cover that, oh, we give deference to legislatures in determining their rules. Really, when they clearly violate the Constitution? But that, that's the issue. So it's a great legal case. Question is, how does the state Supreme Court figure out a way to say it's not true without completely embarrassing themselves? Though they embarrass themselves all the time, so maybe that's a false choice. No, I'm, I'm still <laughs> absorbing all that knowledge. <laughs> so this wasn't the only news this week. Obviously, this is a big deal, and hopefully hopefully, we all hope that this could actually uh, come true. But it's first of all, it's very important. This keeps the lame duck in the public, right? Evers has already said that he wants to try to, as much as possible, go forward as though this is not happening, even though he continues to insist he'll follow the law. It is very important to keep this front and center about the kind of governance that, that they are about. Another quick thing is, is that Jimmy Anderson, the state rep from Madison, great liberal guy who is, uh, who is paralyzed uh, from, from the waist down and can't sit in his wheelchair all day and all night without injuring himself, wasn't there to vote. And so he plans to, uh, to literally take action on that and claim that it violated all the open re meetings laws as well. So there's a second uh, tact here starting, and these will not be the last couple tacks around which, the lame duck. Which, of course, reminds everybody that they violated their own rules that said they weren't going to behave and run business like this in terms of having all-night sessions. So... Um, another issue that uh, we want to make sure we talk about this week is there is now some bipartisan state legislators who have uh, who are basically saying that public school funding needs to be increased here in Wisconsin. We know this is absolutely critical. It's a central part of what uh, Governor Evers wants to do in his budget. Um, uh, but Robert and uh, Rebecca, I'm a little concerned. The, it is Luther Olson who is one of these Republicans who is saying we need more funding. He, this is Luther Olson who said it was crazy for us not to take the Badger Care, the Medicaid expansion money at first, but then went with the Republicans. But anyways, Luther Olson is, uh, along with Joel Kitchens, they were on a, a, a committee that essentially came out saying that there needs to be more resources in public schools. Let me just say quick, when Matt, when you said bipartisan legislators, I assume you meant that there were legislators of both partisans there, not that there's a new Sorry. kind of legislator that is, <laughs> that is a bi, a bi, so to speak. Uh, but having said Polly that, <laughs> what is, yes, exactly. What is, what is stunning about this is, is that we have a couple of Republicans, including our favorite, the Lion of Ripon, uh, Luther Olson, who, who roars loud at the beginning until he's told not to, uh, literally refuting and entirely the entire Walker claim for the last eight years and basically showing that it was a lie that Walker helped education and just gave districts tools in order to help everyone and help schools while also lowering the tax burden and makes it very clear that it's very damaging to public education. So proposes a large increase in special ed funding, also proposes giving a lot more money to, in, to, to districts with a high poverty rate and, uh, and changing the formula to do so, among a number of other things, and mental health services, which are absolutely critical. And a lot of those with different numbers are actually paralleled with Tony Evers' own Department of Public Instruction budget proposal. So there's a lot in common with Evers. The one little dodge they did, I'm interested in Rebecca's thoughts, is usually these Bipartisan commissions are often come up with legislation. They didn't do that. They simply delivered the recommendations to the governor. So I think that probably was negotiated with the Republican bipartisans uh, in order to uh, to not embarrass Mr. Uh, Voss, Fitzgerald, and their colleagues. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're playing chestnut checkers. If I'm not mistaken, um, Senator Olson was the one Republican senator who flipped on at least one of the um, lame duck pieces of legislation, right? Is that he right? He usually flips on something, on something. but not when... I, I don't recall. Yeah. On issues of conscience, but they determine <laughs> what the issues of conscience are, not him. No, I mean, I think, you know, we'll see um, going into the 2020 cycle if there will be some Republican senators who, while their seats are, like, very gerrymandered, like, might have to play ball with, um, you know, the new administration more so than, you know, Voss or some others. And so I imagine that, like, they're probably allowed to go forward and do this. I don't think they would have done this without talking to leadership. And I think it's to preserve their seat and the majority. Like, I think we'll see this throughout the administration that, like, these slightly vulnerable Republicans... Um, will kind of put forward things um, as ways of like saving face when it comes election time. And I think, you know, the Republican legislature probably sees the writing on the wall in terms of like, there's going to be more funding for education. One, because the governor is Tony Evers, and that is like a non-starter, like that is a huge part of who he is, his platform, his beliefs, but also because the entire state is feeling the effects of underfunded public education, whether, and we talk about it all the time on the show, whether it's rural, whether it's Milwaukee, you know, this is like a crisis in our state, and so it's got to happen, and so this is a great way for them to like, just on the politics, kind of come forward and, and kind of take credit for being on the side of this thing that's definitely going to happen that their constituents want that like their leadership might be fighting on. So I see this as nothing more than like political cover. Um, but, um, you know, I well, know. In it, but it is that and it's the same kind of thing we're going to need to see again out of, say, whether it be a Petrowski, a Cowles and Olson uh, on, on health care, a Teston. We'd like um, to see anyway. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, if, if there will be movement uh, where we're actually going to have a budget that would have Medicaid expansion, some of them are going to have to internally within the caucus, you know, basically say this is something that we need like this. And it's a both a it's mostly a political calculation. And a lot of these folks are up for election next cycle, including Olson, including Cowles, including Teston. Um, so I don't is I, yes it is Teston mm -hmm. and then Fayan also in the Oshkosh area so these are these are seats that would fit in with what you were just saying Rebecca as political cover here but it's worth naming these legis these senators because we'll be talking a lot about them in the budget cycle uh, because they're all the same actors who uh, are going to be critical in any kind of movement towards the Evers budget I'll tell you what we won't see we won't see any of these senators or any Republican senators for that matter. Um, going against the Republican donor base. Like, they're on a leash. It's a short leash. They've been let out on their little walk. But you will not see them come out against privatization, right? You won't, I mean, and, and when we talk about funding for public education, like, let's not forget that, like, this structure, this, like, strange, you know, privatization structure that's been implemented in Wisconsin is bleeding those schools dry. That's, they're not going to talk about that, right? Uh, so, right, I, and you, you won't know. see them come out for any reform of the voucher system. Right, exactly, exactly. And so, and that's why I think, um, you know, and we'll probably talk about it more in future shows, but these spring elections are more important than ever. And I think all of us, you know, folks who listen to the show, people who do work throughout the state, no one's resting on their laurels. No one's like, oh, we beat Scott Walker, we're done. Like, no, Tony Evers is governor. It's now more critical than ever. It's more important than ever that we activate and activate really um, with energy around these elections. And, you know, in Milwaukee, we've got more than half of the Milwaukee Public School Board up. Uh, and while they don't necessarily have the ability to weigh in on vouchers, they can go as a united front to Madison uh, against them. And what they can do locally is tremendous. I mean, I won't, I can rant on this some other time, but, 
in the you know between the last school board election and now we had a substitute teacher go on a health uh, hunger strike because they don't have health care we have you know elementary school parents crying because they have no control over co-location with high schools and the high schools are unaccountable charters who like we can't control and the, the list goes on and on so really important that people get involved so i want to remind any of our listeners out there who are organizing co-op members if you are running for office this spring please contact me matt.bruski at citizenactionwi.org i want to hear from you we're interested in supporting you um so let just follow up with me. I'll let you know how that might happen. Um, before we go, though, uh, to break, um, I do want to also mention a bill that uh, a big, strong supporter of Battleground Wisconsin, Senator Chris Larson, is supporting that would prevent Wisconsin lawmakers from destroying public records. And we've certainly had numerous instances of this over uh, the last uh, decade. Robert, real quick before we go. Yeah, maybe we should give titles away like MSNBC and give Chris officially a Battleground Wisconsin <laughs> contributor. <laughs> but Matt referenced all the actual violations of the current open records law that happened in the last eight years. This is one where there's a loophole exists, has existed all for a while, that allows legislators to shred their calendars and their emails. You can't really see who they're meeting with and who's influencing them. And they're being paid, they're public officials being paid public salaries, and we don't know how many pharma lobbyists met with them, just for example, and the other lobbyists that will be attempting to keep them on a leash, as Rebecca just said. And so this is great legislation. Don't count on it passing with this legislature. But again, just another sign of how privatized our government's become that you don't even allow to know who the frick they met with. Well, again, something that maybe will become an issue in the 2020 elections. We got a go to break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we'll be joined by our organizing co-op member in Northeast Wisconsin, Jody Lizette. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we're really excited to have our Northeast Wisconsin organizing co-op organizer, Jolie Lizette with us. Jolie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Jolie, this is your first time on the podcast, so we're really thrilled about that. But why don't you just start, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself uh, before we go any further. Yeah. Um, so I've been organizing for Citizen Action in Northeast Wisconsin for uh, almost a, exactly a year now, uh, which has been a, it's been a really exciting year. Uh, getting to know our members, getting to do some really awesome stuff in the 2018 elections. I'm uh, getting to dive deep into to some of our issue-based campaigns. My background in the past, uh, I got involved in organizing for the first time um, as a student organizer at UW Madison uh, about a decade ago. Um, and yeah, and I was one of the student organizers with, um, the former United Council of UW students, um, during the Act 10 uprising. Um, and so that was very definitive in me deciding that I wanted to do this as a career. Um, and so I've been really excited to be part of the, the Citizen Action team and getting to like develop our co-op model that I think is really a, a, a good balance of having a, a democratic, uh, process for how we engage uh, our members and how we make decisions in our organization, um, as well as getting to work for an openly progressive organization that isn't shy about our stances on issues. <laughs> so uh, that's great. I, you know, a question that I want to ask you is looking ahead to the spring, 
mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the priorities for the co-op? What are you going to be doing? What kind of organizing? What races? What issues? What like what's going on in the Northeast? Yeah, we're going to have a very busy spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, first off, elections. Uh, we're going to be getting involved in some local elections, obviously tying in uh, the state Supreme Court race as well. Um, so right now we are considering endorsements um, in a few races, including uh, mayor races in Green Bay and Oshkosh, um, as well as um, city council races in the city of De Pere. Um, and then also we have a member running for Green Bay School Board as well. Yeah, no, and uh, before you came on, one of the things Rebecca was talking about was how important these local elections are, and particularly here in Milwaukee, we have school board elections. Um, what if, and, and so if, um, say, say you're a member or you're a progressive who's running for office uh, up in the spring um, and they want to follow up with you, um, how, how would they get in contact with you? Tell, tell them a little bit more about how that works. Yeah. Um, so our, we have an or- open endorsement process. So certainly any candidates uh, can reach out to me for more information about that. Uh, we will be contacting some directly as well this week. Um, but for any, uh, any folks who want to get involved in actually helping to, to increase turnout in the election, uh, you can contact me either by phone or text at 920-312-4246 or at my email, which is j-o-l-i-e dot l-i-z-o-t-t-e at citizenactionwi.org. So obviously always involved in elections, but one of the great things about the co-op is it's permanent organizing and you have some amazing members and leaders up there uh, on a number of different issues but I want to start by talking about the work on gerrymandering and fair maps because that's been something where there's been a tremendous amount of leadership uh, from your organizing cooperative so talk a little bit more about that and other opportunities there are for people to get involved beyond just elections. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, we have an amazing uh, team working on fair maps in northeast Wisconsin. Uh, In the last uh, couple years, it's been led by Renee Gash and Lindsay Dorf. Uh, Lindsay is is, uh, stepping back now, um, taking over the chair position of the Brown County Dems, which we're really excited to see her progression of leadership. Yeah. Uh, Renee will be continuing. And... uh, so, yeah, it's been a great group, mostly Appleton, uh, Green Bay folks, uh, you know, including some folks with legislative experience, whether local uh, county boards uh, are running for higher office. And, uh, and so, yeah, they've really been able to make this a key issue in our area. You know, we, they organized some really amazing town halls in the last couple of years um, that have had, some of them have had over 100 people attending. Uh, so it's been an issue that really has sparked people there. You know, we do have a serious gerrymandering problem in the Northeast where we literally can't win elections in certain districts because of it. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll continue working on that, uh, trying to get a bill for nonpartisan redistricting passed in the state legislature, uh, ideally before the next round of, of making the maps um, after the 2020 census. Um, additionally, we also uh, have... Um, campaign starting around uh, the war on drugs and a specific program called ESPIRT, S-B-I-R-T, that we want to see the state legislature invest in uh, where it would be a verbal screening process um, for all uh, high school students across the state of Wisconsin um, to identify students who are at risk of developing a substance abuse disorder. 
and so and, we, and, and just mm -hmm. out of curiosity, mm -hmm. my, it's my understanding that is to try to get them into out of the criminal justice to make this a, yes. a health issue mm -hmm. and not an issue that what usually happens leads into criminal justice and they get intersection with the police, which we think is absolutely the wrong approach to this. Yes, exactly. And it's it's an issue that isn't we talk like we know that there is an opiate ec epidemic problem in our area, um, but we don't often talk about it as a public health problem. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it, it's you know, we're dealing with the problem within our jails uh, rather than in a hospital or in a treatment center that where it should be dealt with. Um, and so, you know, there definitely is an issue, too, with access to treatment, you know. Um, like, I have a family member who dealt with addiction, and we had to send her out of state for the first time for a rehab facility for youth, right? Uh, so it's just yeah. <laughs> it's well, definitely and, and, an access and, problem. Yeah. And we know that most this usually most people's addictions happen when they're younger. And if we could actually give people the kind of supports and and families, really, this is mm -hmm. a family thing, and getting it out of like other people and getting it back to the family, but getting them immediately connected to the proper mental health. Okay. Uh, real quick, other things I didn't mean to go dive on that, but I think that's a really important yeah. thing, um, and we just have to start to address that issue. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, yeah, we're also really excited to work on healthcare. obviously, as yeah. citizen action. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll be diving into with our members is what do we want uh, to be pushing for in this next budget? Obviously, one of the big things we're talking about here at Citizen Action is the Medicare expansion. Um, so one of the things that I'm going to be working on really hard is engaging all of our members in the state budget process, especially getting folks to, to be prepared to uh, make a testimony at the JFC hearings uh, once those are scheduled in the spring. We expect that there will be one within a driving, easy driving distance of where most of our members live. Um, and so we will be trying to direct people to engage in that process as well. Um, you know, additionally, we're also going to be doing a huge membership drive this spring. Uh, so one of the places that I'm really excited to expand the co-op is Oshkosh. Um, that's where I went to, to elementary school and high school, so I'm kind of excited to, to see the co-op expand in, into that part of the Northeast. You know, it's another major city that we haven't had a big presence in, but definitely has a progressive base <laughs> that we can tap into, uh, into there and, and help to build political power within that city. Um, you know, we're really excited to have a progressive woman running for, for mayor of that city. So, Yeah, that's very exciting. For people who don't know, um, there, there could be a real change of leadership in Oshkosh, and that is going to be the center of one of the important state Senate seats uh, mm -hmm. in 2020. Fayan is up, if I'm correct. Yep. Um, so, folks, if you're in the Oshkosh, Fond du Lac, that general area and you want to get involved in helping join the co-op and grow real democratic leadership in in your re region please reach out to jolie give, give out your contact info one more time before you go yeah definitely uh so my cell phone number is 920-312-4246 and my email is uh my first and last name j-o-l-i-e dot l-i-z-o-t-t-e at citizenactionwi.org well, thank you so much for doing the work you're doing and, of course, being ambitious and trying to figure out how we grow uh, this cooperative in, in your region. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today, Jolie. Yeah, thanks again for having me. So with that, we're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. It's our first uh, 
real one with this uh, new leadership. Super excited, very happy to have had our new state treasurer, Sarah Godlewski, join us and, and to agree to be a part of Sarah, what the Godlewski does the state treasurer <laughs> do. And again, that'll be every thir- second Thursday of the month. We'll have Sarah on to talk deeper about uh, the new opportunities we'll have through the state treasurer. Of course, want to thank Jolie Lazat for joining us uh, from the Northeast Wisconsin Co-op. And we will see y'all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs>